Good morning, Redemption Church. My name is Nora, and I am a member here. Uh, this morning's reading will be from the Gospel according to John, chapter 1, verses 1 to 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. This is God's word for us today. Good morning, Redemption Church. Thank you, Nora, for the scripture reading. Let me just begin by introducing myself. My name's John Haynes. I'm a member here at Redemption, along with my wife, Christy. We have four kids, Elijah, Hannah, Maddie, and Caleb. And uh, before we get started by continuing our Advent series this week, I just want to give a really big shout out to Greg Aulis. Um, I was supposed to preach last week, but as we just prayed for in our pastoral prayer, there's obviously lots of sickness going around, and I happen to be one of those cases. And so Greg put together his passage, which was supposed to come later in the series, in short order, and managed to deliver a really blessed sermon last week. So brother, thank you so much, and uh, I was blessed by that as I watched from home. <laughs> so let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll dive in to John chapter 1, verse 4. God, we thank you for this time that you've blessed us with, to come together as your church, to continue learning about and contemplating this newborn child, Jesus Christ. God, we thank you for his birth. We thank you for his life, his death, his resurrection. And as we've learned already, that he has always existed. God, we thank you for the opportunity to gather to worship you. We thank you for the opportunity to uh, be united as your people, as a testimony of what your son came to do and of what he continues to do on behalf of those who believe. God, be with us this morning. 
as we continue to study this first part of the Gospel of John. God, I pray that what we study would resonate with us this morning. I pray that it would um, be additional truths that come to mind readily and easily as we continue this lead up to the celebration of Christmas. God, we pray for this now. In Christ's name, amen. Have you ever had moments where you're reasoning through something and all of a sudden it clicks and a light bulb moment goes off, so to speak? You're, you're wrestling through concepts, wrestling through ideas, trying to piece things together, and then something changes and you realize just how remarkable a particular truth is. You may have had this experience perhaps in school or maybe even in your job as you wrestle through a task that you've been given or as you're learning about concepts related to math or science or what have you. Or maybe just as you're troubleshooting something, trying to repair something, and all of a sudden it comes together and you realize, oh my, that's what this is about. Or maybe you've even had a string of light bulb moments where you begin to realize if this is true, then that's true. And if that's true, then wow, this other thing is true. And so in this first part of John that we're studying through our Advent series, we have the opportunity to reason along with the Apostle John and his gospel as we contemplate a series of magnificent truths about Jesus Christ, this newborn child. And my, my trust this morning is that we will continue to realize just how profound these truths are and that we'll realize that they have significant implications for us, eternal implications, if we take the time to really study them carefully and let them sink in. Two weeks ago, Danny preached on the first three verses of John chapter 1, and he helped us understand this big truth, that this newborn child has always existed. And Danny helped us understand how those references to in the beginning in verses 1 and 2 take us back to Genesis 1-1, where in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And he did this to help us see that Christ was there. Christ was there in the beginning. It wasn't as if Christ came into existence when he became a child and was born into this world and took on human flesh. He, he is the God-man, as Danny pointed out, who had existed for all of eternity. And so it's against this backdrop that we now come to verse 4. It's against this backdrop that we now come to verse 4, which says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. So this morning, what we want to do together is contemplate this. What is this life that is in this newborn child? What is this life that is in the Word, Jesus Christ? And what does it mean for us? What does it mean for us now, during Advent? What does it mean for us for all of eternity. So let's go ahead and ask that. What is this life that is in this newborn child? I think that we can describe it in this way and then take some time unpacking it. And we're gonna unpack it after we mention what it is by looking both at the immediate context in John chapter one, and then by looking at this theme of life that extends all the way through John's gospel. So here's how I think we can understand this this morning, this life that is in this newborn child, Jesus Christ. That the life in this newborn child is an eternal fellowship with God. I'll mention it one more time. The life in this newborn child is an eternal fellowship 
with God. So let's look first at the immediate context as it builds on the three verses before it, and then we'll look at how we see this truth throughout the theme of life in John's gospel. It seems like, as I mentioned, in verse 4, where we come to this verse about life being in Christ, that it builds on what's come before it, those three verses that Danny preached through two weeks ago. In verses 1 and 2, we see Jesus, the Word, who was with God in the beginning. And then in verse 3, we see this additional profound truth that all things that exist, all things that are, have been created through this Word, this eternal Christ. And then we come to John 4, where John declares that life itself is in Christ. Here are some things I think we can infer about this truth this life that is in Christ, just by these first three verses, looking at the immediate context here. The first is this, in verse three, that this life is the source of all things. This life that is in Christ, this newborn child, is ultimately the source for everything else that exists. The source of you, the source of me, The source of anything that has existed ever ultimately stems back, as other commentators have noted, to this life that is in Christ himself. This life is the source of all created things. But we also see something more in verses 1 and 2, that this life involves a fellowship with God. It involves a communion that Christ has with the Father himself. That's why I think we see in verses 1 and 2 John spending and emphasizing that Christ is with the Father. He's with God. In the beginning, they were together. There's a fellowship that is associated with this life that is in Christ. Now, this may be a new concept, that life in Christ equals fellowship with God. I think for many of us, we're used to thinking about life in physical terms, maybe simply biological terms. Many of us, when we think of that word life, we know what comes to mind. For me, it happens to be humans, frogs, other types of animals and things like that. Frogs just come to mind. I am not sure why, but they do. Um, But I I think in terms of biological life, right, things that are animate, that that are, are, are living and they have cells, here we see something even more profound, though, that there is a, a fellowship, an eternal fellowship that is this life that is in Christ. And so what I want you to see this morning is that the nature of this life, this fellowship with God that Christ has, is precisely why the birth of this newborn child is such good news for us this morning. And I think we'll see why all the more when we look at the larger theme of life in the Gospel of John. Let's look at that theme. Life is a theme that extends throughout John's Gospel. And I'd encourage you, if you ever have a moment, I'd encourage you to take a moment, more than a moment, to read through the Gospel of John and just trace that theme of life. It's mentioned multiple times, and you see it emerging from the pages in really remarkable ways. There are a couple of things in particular, though, that I I just want to highlight for us this morning that I think will help us to see this life, this eternal fellowship that Christ has, that is the life that is in him. And here's the first thing that we see when we look at this larger theme throughout John's gospel, that there is an eternal life that Christ possesses that he gives to those who believe in him. There's an eternal life that Christ possesses that he gives to those 
who believe in him. We see Christ himself talking about this in in at least two instances, and I'll highlight those examples for us this morning. The first is when Jesus is speaking with the woman at the well in John chapter 4. A really great, amazing story in so many ways. But we see this truth shine forth that there is an eternal life that Christ possesses in this particular account. So let me just read here verses 10 through 14 of John 4 so we can see Christ actually speaking to this eternal life that he possesses. Here's what John writes. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a a spring of water welling up to eternal life. What is Jesus saying to her? I am eternal life. There is a life that I possess that you need. And that is what, if you knew who I was, you would be asking of me. And we, of course, know how that story plays out. Um, But there's an eternal life in Christ that he gives to those who trust in him. We see it also in John 6. After Jesus feeds the 5,000, you may remember there are some that are following after him, but only because Jesus fed them. And Jesus is trying to get them to understand they should not be seeking physical bread here, that, that he's the eternal bread of life that they should be seeking and coming to him for that bread. And we see him as he talks to them Also, again, highlighting this truth that eternal life is in him. Here's what he says in John 6, 27. He says, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man, Jesus, will give to you. Part of this life, or this life, rather, that is in Christ that we see spoken of in verse 4 is an eternal life. That Christ gives. Now, helpfully for us, Christ himself determines what that eternal life is. Christ himself explains, here's what this eternal life is that is in me that I give. We see it in John 17, and as others have called it, the high priestly prayer that Jesus prays in John 17. Here's what he says. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come Glorify your son, that the son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Jesus here is defining eternal life for us. Eternal life is fellowship with God. It's what he possesses in himself It's what he graciously grants to those who come to him. An eternal fellowship with God is the life that is in Christ. And then remarkably, Jesus then says that this is precisely what he wants believers in him to have. He wants them to have this fellowship with God. He says just a little bit later in that high priestly prayer 
in John 17, 20 through 23, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Here's the remarkable truth we need to see this morning. Christ has an eternal fellowship with God and was born into this world to bring us into this fellowship. It's a remarkable thing. Here's why this is good news for us. Let's touch on some of these implications of this great truth that the life that is in Christ is eternal life and this newborn child has come to bring us into that fellowship. The first reason, and there are many, and we could go well beyond what we'll talk about here, of course, but I think the first reason why this is good news for us this morning is that apart from Jesus Christ and his incarnation, we have no fellowship with God. This is something that we do not have by default. The truth of the matter is, is that if we look deep within ourselves, we know that we are by nature sinful people. We pursue those things that rebel against God. We're tempted to sin. And apart from God's grace, we know that we have a sinful nature that will guide us readily right into it. And we can all think back, I'm confident, all think back about those times in our lives, maybe as recently as today, maybe as distant as our younger years, but where we willingly rebelled against God and sought to do what, as the Bible says, was right in our own eyes. And the scriptures are, are really clear about the consequence of this and the truth of this. Jesus himself in John 3, 19, touches on this state of darkness that characterizes the world, this state of darkness that characterizes you and me apart from God's grace when he says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. And I think we all know too that because of our sinfulness, because of our rebellion against the God who's created us, as we've already seen, that there is a judgment that we deserve. We deserve death. We deserve to not have fellowship with God. We deserve to be cast out of his presence in the same way that Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden due to their rebellion. But remarkably, we see God the Father sending the Son to take this very judgment upon himself, to willingly bear a separation of fellowship, a being cast out in place of those who will believe. We see this happening in Matthew's gospel, specifically in chapter 27, verses 45 through 46, where I think it's a particularly important aspect or account of Jesus's death, where we see the, the nature of what Jesus has undergone for those who believe, for sinful people like us, deserving to not have fellowship with God 
and deserving to not have that fellowship for all of eternity. Let me read that for you. Jesus, as he's on the cross, here's what Matthew writes. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? In his crucifixion and death, Jesus Christ had his fellowship with God severed so that sinners like us could have fellowship with God restored. Do you see what he's undergone in order to bring this fellowship with God to us? Willingly undergoing death, willingly undergoing a separation from the Father who he has had eternal fellowship with so that sinful rebels like me, like you, could be brought into fellowship with God. Just as God spoke light into existence against, amidst darkness in Genesis 1, he has sent his son to bring this light of life into a dark world. And it came at Christ's expense. So here's my question for you this morning. Do you have this fellowship with God through Christ? Do you have this fellowship with God through Christ? Christ invites you to come to believe in him, to believe in what he's done, what we just talked about for those who will trust in him, to be brought into fellowship with the eternal God, to be changed, to be forgiven, to be granted eternal life. That can be true for you this morning if you have not come to that point. And as Greg preached last week, it is God who works to bring that about, to give that faith, to, to make people right with God. So if you're here this morning, maybe you're wrestling with Christianity, you're thinking about Christ, who is he? What does this mean to celebrate Advent? Who is this newborn child? Here it is. Receive him. Repent. Believe. Be brought into the fellowship that this newborn child has come to bring sinful people like us. The second reason that we'll touch on this morning, why this is good news, is that this fellowship with God, that is life in Christ, that he has come to bring sinful people like us into ensures a future resurrection from the dead. It ensures a future resurrection from the dead. Jesus says in John 6, verses 53 through 54, so Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. What's Christ saying? Christ is saying, whoever receives me, receives my flesh, receives my blood, my sacrifice of myself, I will raise them up on the last day. When you have a fellowship with God through this newborn child, not even physical death can separate you from him. You know, maybe you've been brought near to death or the possibility of death recently. Maybe you're experiencing a particularly significant form of illness yourself. Or maybe there are those that you're close to who are walking through a dark journey of illness and you don't know where it's going to lead. You don't know what the outcome might be. And perhaps it doesn't look great. Perhaps the outcome looks bleak. 
for those who believe in Christ, the outcome of physical death will be a resurrection to life with God because nothing can break this eternal fellowship through Christ. There's a hope that's an anchor for the soul, as, as other parts of Scripture talk about, that even in the midst of illness, significant illness, leading to death at times, there is a hope that that is not the end, that this eternal fellowship with God through Christ extends throughout eternity. Nothing brings it to an end for those who believe. Here's a third reason why this is good news for us this morning, that this fellowship with God establishes fellowship with each other. In addition to just this amazing, remarkable fact that those who believe in Christ are brought into fellowship with God through Christ, the God-man, we also see that one of the many consequences of that is that those who believe are brought into fellowship with each other. That we who are here, who are believers in Christ, are united in the most profound way that we could ever be united, period, through Christ in fellowship with him. And we see Jesus himself associating these two things, associating fellowship with God and fellowship with each other and those who believe. Listen to him describe it as we go back to the high priestly prayer in John 17, verses 20 and 21. Jesus says, as he's praying to the Father, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. This life that is in Christ unites those who believe in him. And there are a lot of really important implications of this for us, church. It has to influence everything we do as a congregation. Given this truth, that we're united to each other because we're united to God in fellowship through Christ, it impacts things like how we talk to each other. Are we encouraging one another? Are we rebuking when necessary, correcting, lovingly coming alongside in life circumstances? It also should impact how we talk about each other when we're not around each other. What are those things that we're saying about fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who have been united to God in the same way that we have when we're not with them? Are we talking about them in a way that reflects these truths that we're seeing this morning? It should impact how we prioritize being together. Given that we are united by the greatest possible thing that could unite us if we're believers, surely that extends then even to spending time with each other. Not just corporately like we're doing here this morning, which is immensely important, but spending time together in small groups. Spending time together over a meal over coffee, whatever it might be. It should impact all of these things. And we could go on and on about all the ways that that would extend, if we're doing those things, would extend through the life of a congregation to bring vitality and health. And here's the other beautiful thing, that based on John 17, Jesus says that when we do these things, when there is this unity among his people that reflects a fellowship with God, what are we testifying to? We're testifying that God has indeed sent his son to bring this fellowship with God. Even just being united as his people itself, Jesus is praying about this, is a testimony that indeed God has sent his son to bring us into eternal fellowship. He says, so that the world may believe 
that you have sent me. Let's not let any differences that we have, let's not let any differences that we have, which pale in comparison to this unifying fellowship, mar this testimony. And then lastly, church, this is good news for us this morning because fellowship with God can bring us comfort when we're distressed. Fellowship with God can bring us comfort when we're distressed. I don't have to tell you that there are many things that can bring us distress in this life. We've already talked about illness, death, but the list goes on. Maybe it's work issues. Maybe you're sitting here and you're contemplating some aspects of your job that are really difficult. Maybe it's working with, with certain folks that are just challenging. Um, maybe it's your personality in combination with theirs that just creates some friction. Or maybe you've been trying to explore other opportunities to try to provide for your family all the more and, and you're wrestling with why these opportunities are not coming. Or maybe it's family issues. This can become particularly heightened during the holidays. I think this was part of the pastoral prayer as well. Maybe there are long-standing family divisions that kind of rear their ugly heads, so to speak, during the holidays, and you know that that's coming. Could also be loneliness, the tiredness of loneliness, of not having loved ones around you as often as you would like, or not having a loved one around you that brings distress. Or maybe it's mental health. We've talked about physical health. Maybe it's also mental health. Long-standing periods of depression or things that you've been wrestling with for years, looking for freedom from, looking for help with. In the midst of distress, meditating on this fellowship with God brought to us through Jesus can anchor us by reminding us that God loves us and we're united to him. He will bring us what we need in his timing, in his timing. He will be with us in our distress while we wait on him. I have seen this in my life. And some of you have heard me talk about this before, but in my own mental health struggles, the obsessive compulsive disorder leading to things like depression, there have been times where the distress seems utterly unbearable. Utterly unbearable. Wondering how I can go on like this. Continuing to bear the weight of the mental stress that comes with, in my case, obsessive-compulsive disorder. But I've seen God work. I've seen him work strategically over time, through pastoral care, through his people, through medication, through kind therapists that all serve to remind me of one thing, that God has not forgotten about me. He's not forgotten about me. Why? Because I have an eternal fellowship with God brought through Christ, this newborn child. And if you're here, distressed believer, the same thing is true for you. He's not forgotten about you. You have a fellowship with him. His timing is right. His timing is perfect. And he's there with you in the waiting. Meditate on your fellowship with God now and always. So church, as we continue in this Advent season, my prayer is that when we think about this newborn child, we think about this God-man, Jesus Christ, that we would marvel, that we would marvel at the eternal fellowship with God that is life in him, and that we would marvel that he came to bring this life 
to anyone who believes. Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you for your grace and your mercy to us. God, we thank you for Christ, this newborn child who came to this earth, born into this world as a man, God himself, walking this life, being tempted just as we are, as the scriptures say, yet without sin. And then God taking upon himself the judgment of separation from you, Father, that we deserve. God, we thank you that he has come to bring us into an eternal fellowship that has implications that we are just beginning to understand, a future resurrection to glory. Help now in the distress and in the periods of waiting and suffering, uniting us as brothers and sisters. Oh God, I pray that this would remain on our minds and impact all that we do as a church, all that we do leading through this Advent season. Thank you, God, for the fellowship that we have with you through Christ. Amen.